Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hi, everybody. My name is Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Steve. <clears throat> a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm a member of uh, the Kingston Group. It's, I consider that my home group in New Jersey. Uh, my sponsor is Bill M., and my sobriety date is August 25th of 05. Um, the reason I'm standing here today is because I didn't act out today. Um, and I always mention that when I talk, because it's a rather large item in my life. And uh, I didn't come up with that on my own. I stole that line from my sponsor when he gets up and talks to people. Um, there were many, many days for 22 years where I couldn't say that. Um, you know, I mean, not many days I couldn't say that. I, I think since I discovered masturbation at 12, um, I was off to the races that moment. Um, you know, just just real brief before I get into the topic, just kind of what got me here. I discovered masturbation at 12. That was a huge explosion for me. Uh, I finally felt all right with the world. Um, as I got older, I discovered phone sex, my second explosion. Um, that and that was probably a $200,000 run by the time I was 17 until I was 34. Uh, I discovered... Um, Escorts when I was uh, about 29, uh, and that was my third big explosion. Um, before my wife discovered this within a period of four days, because I left a huge long paper trail on the computer with all the receipts, the credit cards, the phone sex receipts, all that stuff. I left the paper trail like I would never get caught, right? And I did, because when I was active and I was using in my addiction. Um, the thought that always came to me was, this is just how it's going to be. I knew my life was horrible. Um, my heart was black and I was going to hell. So I might as well just keep doing this. Um, and I did everything in my power to keep that addiction away from everyone. Now I'm, I'm multiply addicted. So I'm also in another fellowship. My alcoholism was in everybody's face, you know, I'm getting drunk and there's nothing you can do about it. There really was nothing anyone could do about it anyway. Um, cause I just drank uncontrollably. Um, but with my sex addiction, that was under the rug, behind the scenes, behind the walls. I never told a soul about this stuff. Yes, I joked, you know, the typical locker room jokes, um, uh, about masturbation. But when I was doing that with my friends, I was thinking to myself how horrible of a person I was because they had no way any of these other guys that I'm talking to are doing what I'm doing. No way they're thinking what I'm thinking. And to a certain extent, that's probably true. Um, but I, I think that inside I felt so horrible that I knew, even from the first moment I did it at 12, that I had to keep this under wraps. And um, talk about unmanageability and the amount of time that I had to hide stuff to be able to act out matter what it was. It was having to run out to the mailbox to make sure that I grabbed the credit card bill before my wife could get to it every month, 
right? And, and then I discovered online billing, so that was like a, a big boon to me. You know, that was, oh, great, great. she'll never have a chance of seeing it. But all I was doing was I was just thinking about ways on how to hide it. I, I honestly believe that that was the time spent trying to keep my addiction under wraps was a lot more time than I ever acted out, ever, right? The acting out, you know, there was, yes, there were some nights I spent five, six hours on the computer, seven hours on the computer, but the other 20 hours of the day or whatever it was, I was working on trying to hide it, right? So for me, um, my wife discovered all this stuff online. Um, she turned to me and she said, Steve, you're an alcoholic. And she, she yelled at me, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I said, yeah, yeah. And I went, I went to an AA meeting and, uh, then my wife, after discovering more things, about a four day period, she discovered some more things about me online. And I finally admitted that I was with a prostitute. That was too much for her to handle. My wife spent the next five days, um, very sick in a hospital, mentally very, very ill. Um, it's actually a very, 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 very big part of my story is that um, when I first came into recovery, I wasn't getting sober for me. I was getting sober so I keep my wife, keep my job, keep my kids, because I hated myself too much to do anything good for me, right? Um, but it didn't matter because I stuck around. Right? And I discovered after about a year of being sober that I was worth it, right? So... My wife goes into uh, an institution for five days. Her sister comes up. And now I have to rid the house of the triggers, our topic today. Right? Now, <laughs> picture this scene. Um, my, my sister-in-law, her sister, is in the hospital because of things I did. And now I'm sitting there in my home with the sister-in-law. And I have to hand everything over to her. I went through with a brown paper bag, and I picked up all my porn magazines, and I got them all. Honestly, I got them all. Um, you know, even that thought right there, I did have a little brief moment of clarity that said, Steve, I never want to hurt anyone this bad again. Watching my, I had to drive my wife to the emergency room with my four-year-old in the back of the car while she was literally pulling her hair out in clumps. And uh, nervous breakdown, I guess you'd say, but... Um, so I had to go through the house. I was shaking because I was coming off of alcohol and drugs. I haven't acted out in three days. Um, and I'm going through picking up porn magazines and, and videos and everything through my house. A nice big stinking bag of destructive devices, right? And uh, I felt... I felt horrific. I felt like, I felt like the smallest person on the planet. Uh, I felt like I was going to die. Um, loaded them to the back of her minivan, right, because she's got kids, uh, took the computer report, put it in the back of her minivan, handed over all my credit cards uh, to her and any cash I had on hand. And basically what I was left with was she actually stayed with me for a couple of nights because the kids were there, and I thought that she was doing something nice for me. The fact of the matter was she didn't trust me to be around the kids. Um but that, that was my first experience of getting rid of all the stuff in my house. It was out of necessity. I wouldn't have done it on my own. It wasn't under the direction of a sponsor. It was, uh, my wife's in the hospital. My sister-in-law is here. you got to get the stuff out of the house now, right? I also got rid of, she also took all the alcohol out of the house too. Um, although I think in the beginning I was 
my own opinion, I was more likely to to act out my sex addiction than grab a drink at that time, even though I had been to two AA meetings. <laughs> I, I, you know, because the sex addiction for me, I couldn't understand that it's just so much more accessible, right? Um, so that rid of my 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 house of the triggers, right? So that 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 got rid of them. Uh, how I felt was I felt like a little kid, like a bad little boy, is how I felt. That I had all these this stuff around my house, and I have to have my sister-in-law come and save me. And um, how close that is to the truth that I've come to find. How close that is to the truth that I was I was I stopped growing up when I was I don't know how old it was eight nine ten. That's about where I have where my uh, development ended, right? And what I became was I became a very active sexaholic who. I used all those things. It's good they took the credit card away because uh, I, I might have used it. And I didn't carry a credit card for about four months into recovery. Uh, I didn't carry an ATM card. Uh, I, When I was at work, I just remember this now. When I was at work, uh, I had a bunch of quarters in my desk. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a, a booth guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I just never discovered that. If I did, I would have gone. But I just, it just wasn't my thing. And, uh... <laughs> I was talking with someone in the program. I said, I got all these quarters on my desk, and I'm freaking out. I'm thinking about taking them to a booth and lock down. He goes, get rid of them. <laughs> Duh, you know, get rid of them, you know. So I brought them home and put them in the change jar, you know, and just uh, little simple things like that in the program. You know, when I first came in, my sponsor said, what are you going to do tomorrow? I said, I don't know. He said, this is what you do. You listening? And I said, what? He goes, I want you to get up. I want you to take a shower. I want you to brush your teeth. I want you to call me at 10 o'clock. I want you to get to a noon meeting. I want you to do your work. Come home. Say hi to your kids and wife. Be nice to them. Go to another meeting at night. Got it. (laughs) Got it. Because I didn't know how to do anything without my head trying to figure out how I was going to act out that day. I had no idea how to live. Right? So... um. I got rid of, so all the porn was gone. I got rid of the quarters that were obsessed. I obsessed about that for weeks. Um, I also had to change a lot of behaviors that would trigger me. Um, I stopped watching TV. That was not underneath the direction of a sponsor. That was not because uh, I was some great recovery guy with two months under my belt. For somehow, some reason, I think it was God intervening in my life, that if I was watching TV with my wife, and some picture of a woman came on TV, which is every three or four minutes, um, how crushing it would be to her sitting next to me. That was the thought that I had. I mean, I just drove her to the hospital a couple of, couple of months ago. I can't be watching TV, so I stopped watching TV. Um, now I've allowed myself, my son's a little bit, you know, he was four years old then. We started watching sports together when, I was five, when he was about five or six. Uh, when commercials come on, I typically excuse myself. Although I'm not perfect, because my wife caught me watching on Thanksgiving Day a promo about the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders that sent her into a downward spiral. And I was sitting there in front of a 70-inch TV, and I was glued to it, and I swear I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I couldn't move. I couldn't move. Boom. They were life-size, you know, for Christ's sake. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was, it was unbelievable. But the fact of the matter is, is that to me now... The progress, not perfection part of the program, which is my progressive victory over lust. When that occurred, 
I told people about it. I shared about it in meetings. I told my sponsor about it. I did a 10-step with my wife and apologized to her. Um, these are thoughts that never, ever would have entered my mind before. As a matter of fact, during Thanksgivings when I was active in my addiction, I was drinking, I would have made comments about the cheerleaders in front of my wife. But, you know, now it's, I'm really sorry. You know, I'm really, really sorry. Um, around the house, uh, coming into, when I first came into the program, a lot of things were triggering. Inanimate objects are triggering. That's part of my story, too. I used inanimate objects upon myself. So bananas were tough to look at. Cooking sausage was tough. Um, uh, if I saw carrots were tough. Uh, and it's not that I may have used some of the things, I may have not, but just the shape of them got me early on. And uh, I tell you now, um, for the most time, I look at as a, I look at a banana as a banana. I look at a carrot as a carrot. You know, it gets better. You know, because I shared about a lot of these things early. Although I'm not sure I've ever shared about banana and the carrot until just now. <laughs> but just, but just thinking about it, um, it's amazing what this sexaholic uh, can do and what I can conjure up. You know, I'm very triggers, you know, signs on the road on Route 95 going into Philadelphia. My God, it's like a veritable playground to me. And, I, you know, I see that and I almost get in a car accident. Um, I see signs that, oh, God, is that a massage parlor? I see that. And this is just life that happens. Um, at a meeting one time, Rob, you were there. At a meeting one time, a, a gentleman shared, he said, I can be triggered by a white wall. And uh, I related to that. I know what that's like. You know, I know what that's like. You know, it, it was, but early on, it was absolutely imperative that I got out of the house all the stuff that could potentially lead me to act out. I, 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 you know, I really had to do it because if it was there and if I knew it was there, I would have ruminated about it. And it might have been a minute or it might have been a week. I don't know, but I would have went and found it and used it. it no question in my mind. Um, so um, I consider my sister-in-law an angel sent by God to me. Um, that sister-in-law told me third day in, she had to go back to work. She took days off the work for this to stay with me and the kids. And uh, she said, Steve, if you do anything to these children... I will find you and I will kill you. She said it through gritted teeth. She meant it and I believed her. That same sister-in-law invited me down um, for New Year's Eve. My wife was working an overnight shift and she invited me down without her sister. Um, she has invited me into her home. She subcontracted me to deep fry a turkey on Thanksgiving. Um... That is the power of recovery and what can happen. Um, you know, I, I, I came to SA with none of the information I'm speaking into this mic right now. None of it, right? The only thing I knew how to do was act out, drink, and use drugs. That's it. And I was very, very good at all of them, right? Um, this whole recovery thing, my whole, my whole program is plagiarized. The entire thing. And uh, I, it's... It's it's absolutely beautiful today that I can sit up here and talk with you guys, and uh, that's all I got. Thanks.
Thank you, Steve. I'm very moved that I have known Steve now for a little more than half an hour and um, see a kinship that I didn't know I had with somebody else in the world. I'm sure what I'm a recovering sex addict. Hi, everybody. Um, uh, we'll now open the floor for sharing. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during the meeting. If you wish to speak, please wait uh, to be recognized. Uh, I'll recognize you. Uh, no crosstalk, please. Please keep your sharing to two to three minutes, which will allow everyone here who wants to to share his or his experience. And uh, please come up to the microphone as you speak and speak clearly so you can be heard. For those who came in uh, after the very opening of the meeting, I'll repeat what I said at that point. If you do not wish for your share to be taped, um, I suggest that you choose another meeting at which to share, and this afternoon in this meeting, just feel free to listen to what others have to share. Our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We don't discuss other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. Our meetings focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We avoid mentioning or discussing specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or AA conference-approved literature. We also avoid using uh, abusive language or sexually explicit descriptions. Our emphasis is on the solution and using the 12 steps in our daily lives. Meetings open for sharing. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, as soon as I saw the topic of this breakout session, I wanted to to listen in, even though uh, then I found out Steve was going to be speaking, and Steve's a good friend of mine. So, uh, and thank you again for your share, because. Um, Although I've known you for two years, I learned something new about you all the time, and, and it helps me think about my program. Uh, and I have a completely different story than Steve's, but uh, for me, there was no there was no uh, gigantic discovery by my wife. It was more of a gradual problem that came to a boil, and my problem uh, primarily has to do with uh, pornography on the internet. Uh, what I never realized, what there there was a lot of things surrounding my life, not just on the internet, not just on TV, that were that were triggering, and then that would uh, I would be driving in the car and I'd be triggered, and I would say, uh, okay, t- today's a good day to go home and act out. Then I came into the program, and I've been sober for a year and a half by the grace of God. Um, I came into the program, and and someone told, me, and I used to think, well. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, it's all triggers are all around me. Uh, I can't live in this in this world and, and you know get up and go to sleep at night and somewhere in the middle of the day not get triggered. And I used to think that well, some of that's true because of 
the visions that I took in in, in my life and that they're kind of just in, ingrained in my head forever. Um, there's just things that I'll never forget uh, or I haven't forgotten. I don't want to say never. Um, but I came into the program and and people said, well, there's not truth. There's a lot. There's a lot you can do to decrease the amount of triggers that happen to me each day. And, uh, you know, I think uh, I went about the problem very incorrectly at first and tried to uh, isolate my, my Internet time to, um, you know, when my wife wasn't home. And then it became... Uh, when I on business trips, you know, just don't do it in the house, Brian. Just just don't do it when I'm around, and you know, for God's sake, don't do it if if kids are in the house or my family's in the house. But I found that was not very helpful. I really needed to uh, to just end it all together. And uh, it wasn't hard, but uh, after I came into the program and found out that, like the white book says, I white book says I can stop. And it was with the help of going to meetings and and uh, finding a sponsor and finding brothers uh, that uh, that have similar problems that I didn't feel alone, um, and that you know that w- that really helped. So for me, it wasn't this going through my house with a brown paper bag and throwing out all the junk that I was that was triggering me. It was just. Um, Getting a just getting a sense of what what is bad for Brian, you know what is what is what is Brian seeking that's going to you know make him numb and help him escape and and getting rid of those things because they're progressively destructive. And I've come a long way in that in a year and a half so far of getting rid of those things. But I I wouldn't say I struggle every day, but there's at least one aha moment where I go. Uh, you know, kind of like a like the poem says, I can go either way if there's a fork in in the road or in the in the woods. And uh, I was triggered uh, four times driving up here on the turnpike this morning because uh, at least four cars passed me and there was some females driving. So, you know, the triggers last three seconds, but it's still a trigger. It's still a trigger, and doesn't matter. It didn't even matter that I was coming to the SA convention with my wife sitting in the car next to me. It's going to happen. And I said, Well, what am what do I do with this now that I've been given blessed with this knowledge and, and the support of, of recovery? And um, it keeps me on the right path. And I told Steve this this morning. Uh, so I think that uh, I need a bit of a push in getting rid of um, what probably is a trigger that I've been denying and is that uh, I subscribe to satellite radio and there's a particular program that I uh, don't I don't think I should be listening to. And although it's just audio, it's still very triggering. Um, so I think I'm going to go home today and and uh, and call them up and say, can you please uh, delete that channel? Because uh, it's just not good. It's not good. And I've been telling myself that I can handle it and I'm not acting out. But it's not a move towards positivity. So I think I'm going to – that was my – that's going to be my big takeaway for, from the convention today. Thanks. I'm Andrew. I'm a sexaholic, and I have a problem with toying around with triggers, and I am 
surrendering that to you and to my higher power right now. I just want to give you a quick background of uh, some ideas I've had today. I had, I went back to acting out on Tuesday of this week, um, and I wanted to come with, with long-term sobriety, and I didn't, but I realized what happened. I had been toying around with triggers, specifically news sites and information sites on my computer at work, and that triggered me to go for to after work, go somewhere else and get on the Internet and, and act out. I am very fortunate that I have not looked at pornography at work yet, and I realize that if I do, I'll get fired, and that would cost me a lot, and I don't want that to happen. And I had an idea uh, this morning about how I can be aware of what compromises I'm allowing myself on a day-to-day basis that can trigger me. And it was, it's coming up with a scorecard. And I got this idea from reading a self-help book about optimism, about, you know, you know, optimism, pessimism score, you know, subtract your pessimism score from your optimism score and you find out how optimistic you are. And this is non-program literature, but it, it gave me, it gave me an idea for, you know, working step zero of, of staying sober and things that would be a positive score, you know, recovery-oriented, would be going to meetings, that would be a few points, making a call and actually speaking with somebody, a few points, leaving a message if I can't reach somebody, you know, doing something positive like, you know, studying for my work, I mean, is a little bit, you know, a little bit positive or exercising, and negative things, going on CNN.com, negative points. Wikipedia is a time vacuum for me. I can spend half hour, hour or more on Wikipedia, just going from one information thing to another. It's not acting out, but it triggers me. It weakens me. Um, feeling really, uh, you know, obsessive about a certain woman or a relationship or a potential relationship, that's a trigger. When I'm on the toilet, that's a weak time for me because images can start to, to pop into my mind and that can be a trigger. So, you know, either making a call, having a book, you know, a program book to read, or just saying, God help me, God help me. But anyway, just on a day-to-day basis, having an estimate of what my recovery score is, you know, will help me be aware of what compromises I'm allowing. So anyway, I would just like to say to the meeting, it is my commitment today to stop making these small compromises, to stop surfing on sites that will trigger me to act out later. And I can't say, you know, I'm going to stay sober forever, but I can help by not allowing the small compromises. Thank you for letting me share. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm a sexaholic. Steve. Great share. I appreciate it. I always like hearing you share. And bananas and carrots, that was new to me. <laughs> Hadn't heard that from you before. I know Steve for quite a while, and we talk very regularly. When you were sharing, a couple of things came up for me. One was it made me go back and think, um, what did I have to throw out? What did I have to discard? Um, I did have a – and the way it went with me was actually – um, 
there was discovery, and then I pretty much cleaned it all out myself. Um, you know, ripped up the DVDs that I had and threw them out. I, I didn't have a large stash at home. It was my primary forms of acting out were going to strip clubs um, and internet pornography. So a lot of a lot of my material that I was using to act out with, you know, was an actual physical material that I had to get rid of. But I do remember going through with my sponsor and him him saying, all right, let's go through your Internet accounts, you know, and let's get rid of, you know, how many email accounts do you have? And I had like six of them. He's like, well, do you need six email accounts? I'm like, oh, no, not really. Well, let's get rid of them. Um, also, you know, I had subscribed to, um, you know, a- adult sites that I had user ID and passwords for. And those I needed to get rid of. I needed to cancel them. I needed to cancel those subscriptions. And that was something I had to go through with my sponsor and get rid of. And the other place that I had to go was I had to go to my hard drive and I had to get rid of, that was the biggest thing for me, was going through the stuff that I had downloaded that was now on that hard drive. You know, Steve essentially took the machine and got rid of it out of the house. Uh, that's not, that, that wasn't the way it went with me. I cleaned it out myself. And what would happen for me is if I found something, I would call my sponsor and with him on the phone, I would delete it. I would get rid of it. <clears throat> the other thing that came up for me in talking about triggers, um, was I remember early on in sobriety needing to make a trip down to Philadelphia from, I live in New Jersey and I was driving, you know, some of the areas that I was going to be driving past were areas that I had acted out before. And that was going to be extremely triggering, and I had no idea what to do. So I called my sponsor again, and he, said, he says, call me before you leave, and then call me when you get there. You know, this this idea of bookending my trip uh, was new to me, because in my mind, the wheels were starting to roll. This could be a, you know, this could be good. I, I could use this to uh, to act out. I'm going through my old neighborhood again. And another area that helped me as well was uh, at one point I was driving somewhere pretty regularly and going by an area that was triggering for me and I had to change my route. I had to change the way I drove to avoid going past that because that was something that was triggering for me. Um, Those were the big areas that came up. Discarding the stuff and getting rid of the triggers uh, absolutely helps me to, uh, to stay clean and sober today. You know, like Steve said, you know, I'm having a successful day today because I haven't acted out today. And that's really all I get. And the more I can stay away from triggers, you know, the easier I make my life for myself. So I appreciate everyone being here. And thanks, Steve, for your sharing. Thanks, Thanks, Steve. My name is Michael. I'm a sexaholic. I'm also a sneakaholic. Uh, I love to sneak around and uh, from a young age, you know, finding Christmas gifts that were hidden somewhere in the house uh, to keeping pornography in my room somewhere where I knew no one would be able to find it uh, to sneaking around telling half-truths is a big thing for me. Uh, my, my sponsor will ask me, well, did you, you know, throw away that phone number that was triggering? And I'd say, yeah, I deleted it from my cell phone. But I didn't tell him that I have it in my desk drawer as well, written down on a piece of paper. Um, and I've done that numerous times. And who am I fooling? Myself. 
I'm fooling myself by these half measures, these half truths. And, uh, it's addictive as well. Sneaking around the intrigue involved in acting out, um, in going here and going there, having different email accounts and using those accounts to, uh, to meet people for, uh, for sex and for, you know, this crazy stuff. Not being true to myself, not being true to the program, it's sobriety. Um, I think especially with the, with the eyes, I uh, find that's one of my biggest triggers, and I still sneak in looks. And I, I find, you know, especially with uh, someone mentioned the, the car next to me, and that was a big thing until I heard at an essay meeting, uh, what business is it of mine who's in the next car next to me? Whose business is it of mine? Whose business is it of mine? What she's wearing today? Whose business is it? It's not my business. And you know, little by little, I've been trying, I've been learning slowly not to take that glance to see who's in the next car. Little by little, I've been trying to take the, um, the road of whole truths. Because then I feel some integrity with myself. And I feel that I'm surrendering these things that I want to keep hidden. Because it's these little hidden things that stay and that will come in to haunt me. Um, if it will be even a few friends who I know if I call them, probably we can go out and find some danger somewhere. And me still keeping their phone number around or... You know, just remind, remembering the past and how it's a possibility to call them up and, and do stuff and, you know, go look for their danger. That's also where I can, you know, hide the reality that some people are good for me and some people are not. Some people are triggers for me and some people are not. Luckily, wearing glasses, I have a very easy way just to handle my sight triggers. I could just take off my glasses and then I can just see a basic form. I can't see any details. And many times I've done this on the subway or in the city when there's a lot of people and I'm feeling triggered. Or I'm feeling the need to look up from my book. Uh, and it's really those triggers and being honest with myself because I'm really fooling myself. I was a big cheater in school as well. As long as I got a good grade on my exam... I showed that to my parents. That was all that really mattered, uh, you know. And it was sort of fun getting away with things. And then, no wonder I, f- I fell into uh, sexualism, where, in a sense, this intrigue carries me more than the actual encounter. So I throw that out there because, for me, to say this stuff is not easy. But it's important for me to own up to what I have done, and then also to own up to my desire to be an accountable man who's also uh, possesses integrity. And that's what I hope to possess as well as honesty and loyalty to myself, to the program, and then to my family and my friends. Thanks a lot, and thanks a lot for the shares. Hi, everyone. My name's Mark. I'm from Wilmington, Delaware. I'm a... Um, Grateful recovering sexaholic. I, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been really struggling with acting out. 
lately. Um, I've done a lot of things to remove triggers from from uh, my life. You know, I don't have the internet at work. Uh, work was very difficult for me because I had to use computers, so I had to leave that job. Uh, I don't have the TV at home and things like that. But I'm finding that I'm still struggling with looking at those triggers. And I think what the key is really for me for right now today is really uh, boundaries. Uh, I've never had any boundaries in my life. You know, I was a kid that went through the closet looking for the Christmas things too. And, you know, I, I cheated on my exams. And um, I think I'm as addicted to adrenaline as I am to anything else. So going into bad sections of the town, you know, that's a that's a boundary violation for me. Um, I also I have um, the uncanny knack of knowing um, other people who have been um, sexually victimized. I think because of my own personal experiences, and uh, I've used that to um, really get inside people's heads. You know, I come across as like the nice, sensitive guy, but you know, once we start going out, I don't really, you know, care and I abuse and, um, you know, I cheat on them and things like that. And, uh, one of those, these are new boundaries for me in that, um, when I can sense an opening, um, with someone where I can, uh, appear to be like, you know, the, the really sensitive guy, I've, I've learned not to talk to them. You know, I just, I act very polite and, you know, just leave. You know, my claim to fame was I went, I called AT&T one time because I had a problem with my phone. Uh, within three minutes, I knew that she had been uh, sexually assaulted. And within five minutes, she told me that she had been gang raped as an initiation. Um, so if I can do it with the AT&T operator, you can imagine if she was uh, in person. And so boundaries for me are really important. Um you know, I've been struggling at work because they have uh, pornography at work. And uh, so I talked to them, my boss about it, and he wasn't very understanding. So uh, I took a, a black garbage bag, and I found a Bible <laughs> underneath the sink. Picture, I'm in this workshop, and picture this really dirty bathroom with this Bible, like, thrown in the corner. I have no idea why it was there. But I put it on top of the pornography. You know, it becomes a boundary for me. Um they listen to satellite radio too, and uh, that's incredibly difficult for me. And so I, I talked to my boss about it yesterday and said, uh, you know, I've shared with them that I'm an addict, and um, I tend to emphasize the alcoholism a little bit more. Uh, I do have a drinking problem, but, you know, nobody really gets the sexaholism. So when you say, you know, the pornography is really leading me to want to drink or the, the satellite radio is leading me to want to drink, um, I think they were a bit more um, sympathetic. And so I just, for right now, for today, I really feel like uh, focusing on my boundaries is the key that's going to help me stay sober today. So thanks for listening. My name is Joe. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I'm kind of new around here. I've only been coming around about two months. Have about two weeks sobriety, and um, wasn't too hard to get rid of the the books, the magazines, the uh, tapes, the TV, and the computer. But I've got this girlfriend, and I haven't heard much about that since I've been coming around. About what do you do if you got a girlfriend? And um, some of the guys in my group are like, change your phone number, or just don't call her back, or. 
whatever, like that. Just that easy. But, uh, you know, you throw a, a, a bunch of uh, magazines in the trash. I mean, they don't have feelings, but this girl does. And, um, and it is rough, and I don't really know what to do. Um, and uh, my, um, my approach thus far has been, actually, I've known her about a year. And uh, a couple times during the course of the year, I um, began to have trouble with the acting out and the guilt and the remorse and the fear and, the, and all that stuff. And and I said, you know, I'm not feeling too good about us sleeping together like this, and I think we have to stop. And uh, and um, I've gotten various responses, either supportive or non, um, over the months. And uh, but uh, two months ago, like I said, I start coming around here, and I said it's getting to where I need some help. And uh, I told her um, that, you know, I'm going to these meetings and this is what it's about and why I feel I need to go. And uh, we got on the uh, SA website at her house uh, on the computer and, um, you know, took the 20 questions and things like that. And I invited her here, invited her here this weekend and uh, she chose not to come and um, and uh, her response is, you know, Nothing in my, in my life is my own. Everything I have is somebody else's. She, she really could have used this this weekend. It's amazing. She sounded, especially the, the talk that we heard during uh, lunch um, from Barbara. Just, I really wish she was here because it really would have spoken to her because that's the way she's living her life, just like that. And um, she says, the, the only thing in my life I don't feel guilty about is my sexuality. And I'm not going to give that up. And me, I feel guilty about a lot of things, but the thing I feel most guilty about is abusing my sexuality and indulging in lust and so on. But anyway, my approach has been, since uh, coming around here, I told her we have to stop. And we stopped a couple times, did not stay stopped, but as of, like I said, two weeks ago was the last time we acted out. But last weekend, we were able to get together when I went on the computer with her, told her about this weekend. Um, we were able to enjoy each other's company. And not act out. And I'm kind of hoping on some level that we can, uh, you know, have a uh, clean relationship. The guys in my group think I'm crazy. I'm still, uh, they said, you know, it's our experience that guys who have girlfriends and come around here don't stay sober. So, like I said, I'm kind of new. Um, I haven't heard much about what guys do when they come in and they have girlfriends. Um but uh, it's a it's a tough one. <laughs> it's real tough, and uh, I'm afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of hurting her and and all that stuff. And uh, I'm grateful for the group. I'm grateful for the amount of uh, recovery I've gotten so far. I think I'm grateful for the uh, support. But um, that's all I got. Thanks. Hi, I'm Bill. I'm a recovering sexaholic. Um, talking before about, or hearing Steve talk a little bit about the time and the energy spent covering up and, and hiding things. And, and, uh, actually Steve and I were talking about that, uh, last week or so. And, um, yeah, I can't, 
think about how many times I, I left the house and was, you know, 10 miles away, 20 miles away and thought, oh my God, did I put that away? Did I close that website? Did I, you know, is there something, am I going to get caught? What, you know, what did I leave out? And, and a lot of times I would turn around and go back and, and sometimes there was stuff there and, uh, you know, eventually, eventually I did get caught. And, uh, so I've actually been, Separated from my wife for a couple of months and, uh, I'm in a, I'm in an apartment and I, I gave my wife the key to the apartment. I drew her a little map of where it was and I said, Hey, whenever you want to go, go. And, uh, so last night I was home eating dinner with the kids and her and she said, I went to your apartment today. And, uh, and I felt fine with it. I was like, good. I said, what, you know, what'd you do? She said, I, I looked through every piece of paper. I felt like I, I felt like a detective in there. And I said, well, you know, there was nothing, you know, there was nothing to find, so that's good. And, and, uh, and it felt good for a change, you know, for once in my life. I, I felt good that I've gotten rid of at least the physical triggers. Uh, you know, there's still the, the mental ones to overcome and, uh, just have to keep my guard out for it. So, um, hopefully there's, that's going to be the, you know, being asked the question and, and knowing she's looking, uh, hopefully feeling good about it will be the rule rather than, uh, the exception from now on. So that's all I got. I'm sure what I'm recovering, sex addict. Hi, everybody. I had hoped that there might be a little, another three minutes at the end of this session so that I could share, and I'm glad there is. Uh, maybe there will be somebody else who wants to share after me. When I was once in recovery and I realized that I was going to have to get rid of my pornography collection, at that time I had not learned yet that I was going to have to grieve the loss of my acting out behavior. But as I got closer and closer to getting rid of my collection, and I'm telling you, it was a collection. I mean, it was a magnificent, gigantic pornography collection that I'd been building and collecting for 20 years. I don't even want to think about the kind of money that was invested in it. I'm just thinking about the time and the energy and the, you know. And... As I got closer to getting rid of it, I began to realize that I wasn't just going to take it and throw it in a dumpster somewhere. Uh, it needed something bigger than that. And so one Saturday afternoon when my wife was not home, I uh, was wearing just like workout clothes and... I we had a fireplace and I did not realize that glossy paper burns really grungy. It does not burn clean. It makes a ton of smoke and you got to have a lot of heat for it to burn. So I had this gigantic fire. It's a miracle I did not set our house on fire. I had this huge fire going and I and I found out too that you can't like put you know, stacks of paper into the fire because it wasn't hot enough. So I had to feed it in page by page. 
This meant that I had to actually see what I was burning. And that made it both more bitter and more complete in that I was truly destroying a weight I had been carrying around and which at this point was uh, causing relapse. I mean, I'd be sober for a while and then I'd relapse. Not with the pornography, just because it was in the closet, right? I didn't even physically get it out, but it was in the house. So at about, I don't know, I might have started at 1 o'clock and about 3.30, a quarter of 4, my wife comes home and she did not have any idea that I had this huge collection. And here I have it all spread out, all over the floor. Because <laughs> <right? laughs> this is a gigantic task to feed this into the fire. And it's taken me, you know, I'm sweating. I mean, I'm covered with perspiration because of the heat coming out of the fireplace. And um, that was that was a real, um, she didn't say anything to me. She came into the living room, saw this whole scene. <laughs> went back out to the garage and unloaded whatever she had brought home from the store, groceries probably. And uh, and then, I don't know, she went somewhere else in the house or she left or whatever. And I can't remember what our relationship was like for the next couple of weeks, but I'm sure it wasn't all that great. But the the last part of what I want to tell here is that there were three things that I knew I couldn't burn in the fireplace. And I held on to him on the, using the argument that you cannot or should not burn video cassette tapes in a fireplace. So I kept them. And the next week I relapsed. Even without watching the videotapes. And I realized this stuff is poison. This, this stuff, even if I don't look at it, it's, if it's in my house, it's poison. So I, I was afraid that if I put the videotapes in the in the garbage can or took it out to a dumpster or whatever, I'd know where it was and I'd go back and retrieve it. I mean, that's how this is the kind of power that this stuff had. So I don't remember what I did with those three videotapes. I took them somewhere and threw them in a dumpster at an industrial site or something where I knew that I couldn't even scale the wall of that thing to get in there. And uh, uh, that is what it took and the grieving that was associated with it to break those chains. And, I, and there's one final thing I want to say. I didn't do that. My higher power led me through that whole thing. I did not overcome the possession of all that poison through my willpower. I can tell you that definitively. And today, whenever I'm attempting, whenever I am tempted to reacquire any kind of damaging material, even if it's just watching television and looking for provocative advertisements, I immediately go running to my higher power. You know, help, 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 help. And my higher power does always help. It's amazing. So it takes less energy for me to allow my higher power to uh, remove the trigger or the triggering thought from me than to white-knuckle it and decide, okay, 
I am not going to think about that. I am not. I am not going to think about it. Well, of course, what do you think is happening? Even while I'm thinking about how I'm not going to think about it. So I have to go running to my higher power and say, it's yours, you know, right? Step one. My life's unmanageable. I'm powerless over this thing. You got to do this, God. Thanks. I'm Brian. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, um, I wanted to. Uh, I, I want to share, and I also wanted to respond. I, or I, I just, I just want to share. I had a, a trigger. I found the perfect uh, partner for me, um, uh, and uh, lived in England, London, England. So that would be six thousand kilometers from my door. So you can tell right off the bat, we're going into complete and utter insanity. And uh, I couldn't give her up. Um, um, I couldn't stay sober, is the truth of the matter. And um, only technically I could stay sober, but not in a clean way. And, um, you know, if this sounds like advice, I don't mean to be giving anybody advice about relationships. I mean, if you need advice, see me after the meeting. I have, I've got advice that you couldn't buy. I mean, you know, I'm... <laughs> Your astrological sign, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter. Any religious, you know, anything whatsoever. As long as you know that I don't know where my car keys are today, I can't find my credit card, and I'm not sure what hotel room I'm in. But I have advice uh, galore. Uh, but I did find in, uh, just before I left Canada to come here, in um, giving up this relationship, I had to do a series of things I had to uh i had to i sent her a short letter and um then i had to delete the e- i get to, technically i had to get the the email deleted out of my system so there could be no response of any kind that was complicated then i had to get the phone number uh, deleted so that she couldn't call me etc and uh, i thought i was going to die literally uh, thought i was going to die but i found that i've had a greater reliance on the program and the and the fellowship since doing that, which has given me something of lasting uh, peace or, you know, serenity or whatever it is that you want to describe it. Uh, I also needed to share in terms of triggers, you know, Manhattan is a trigger for me, and I'm going tomorrow to Manhattan. One of my uh, <coughs> adopted children is arriving from Moscow and is here now, and um, uh, but I have my family friend with me, traveling with me all day tomorrow so that I'll be able to go to Manhattan and get out of Manhattan alive because I would rather defy death in Manhattan than, um, you know, be sober. So that's those are things that they think the extremes, that the seemingly extremes that I have to go to, but I've tried everything else of my own uh, willpower. And I don't know, I, I finally came to the conclusion that the only way that I can exist is that is never to ever ever have a dream of having a relationship, just having sobriety. And if one comes, it comes. But if it doesn't, I've got sobriety, which has been lasting and um, peaceful. But whenever I'm in a relationship with a woman up till date, it has been contentious, argumentative, bitter, resentful, brawling, emotional damage, etc. So I obviously need to get uh, more help for myself and get healthier. Thanks.
I'm Dennis, I'm a sexaholic. Um, I'm, this share is going to be more like a prayer. And uh, I know there's an answer to this. I don't know the answer. Uh, but uh, I have received sobriety by the grace of God and fellowship of the program and no, no uh, fault of my own. Uh, two and a half years, so I'm grateful for that. But I've been struggling with the internet, and uh, I just, uh, my wife doesn't really want to have a filter on it, and uh, because she wants it to work well. <laughs> and, uh, but I've got to get a filter on it, you know, something, you know, because I, I, I've been able to live with it in the sense of not acting out, but, and for a while everything goes good, but then, you know, I sneak a hit, you know, and uh, even even with filters on it, you know, there's still ways to get hits, you know, on the Internet. And uh, and yet I need the Internet and uh, at least I think I need the Internet for my work. And um, it's like I don't know what the answer is. You know, I want to live. I want to have progressive victory and. uh I don't want a dog in me, and I and I know, you know, with triggers, you know, it's not good for me to have these triggers, and uh, and and like I said, even even with even with a filter, uh, uh, you know, I can being a real sexaholic, it doesn't take much for me to get a hit, you know, I can get a hit off stuff, <laughs> you know, and you know, get the adrenaline rush, like somebody was saying, you know, I get the adrenaline rush, I change my feelings, I I feel better, you know. <laughs> I feel better when I get an adrenaline rush. It uh it is a solution in a way because it lifts my spirits and it you know, but it it it's not good for me and um I'm just putting that out there. And uh God please give me the answer. Amen. This is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. Ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside, or I should say discussed, since certainly they're here on tape. Please keep any names, addresses, or phone numbers you learn about in SA to yourself. What we say here, let it stay here. I have never closed meetings with... Um, the third step prayer before, and I tried to memorize it this morning, and I have it pretty well memorized, but I don't think well enough to lead it. Uh, but I will lead here, and so I won't ask us to stand in a circle if you would. If you do know the, the uh, third step prayer, though, please join me. Yes. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.